Hello, and welcome back to Famous Last Words, a movie-making podcast that has a such generic name, it's hard to find on the internet. I am Andrew, and you are? I'm Teresa. And we are related... By Marriage Not Blood. By Marriage Not Blood. The hits never die. <laughs> that hit is like listening to uh, um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road in a subway sandwich shop in sarasota florida doesn't never gets old <laughs> i'm stuck my brain stuck out a little bit of the fact that i played the outro again for the second podcast <laughs> in a row <laughs> that that's true it's right because okay. our, our intro okay. has like dog barks and stuff in it i know i was waiting for that so the purists will notify us mm-hmm. that we've done this incorrectly it's okay it's because we're in our new studio. Yeah, yep. We're in the, the southern studio of our home. <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking about an interesting film today. Uh, why don't we play that intro and uh, see what it's like? There's this belief that if you're not there when a family member dies, your spirit will roam aimlessly and become a ghost. saw you at the hospital. Are you from here? Yeah. You like it here? I'm really interested in architecture. Yeah, I hear this town is quite the mecca. So we are, of course, talking about the movie Columbus from 2017, a movie by the film essayist, uh, though he doesn't like that name, there he uh, does essays for Sight and Sound is how he kind of got his start. His name is Kogonata. He uh, was a PhD student, he, student getting his PhD on Ozu when he realized that he wanted to become a filmmaker himself. Uh, mm. Notable egghead. Uh, really, really great. Co- his video essays are really interesting. They're like kind of, they're not like, learn this thing about this movie. They're like, here are all the shots of Robert Brisson movies with their hands. They're really, really, really kind of poetic and interesting. Fire. Fire scenes and water scenes from Terrence Malick movies kind of put side by side in split screen. Mm. Um, We're big eggheads. We like the YouTube film commentary things. Um, We are currently talking about this movie. Uh, This is one that's been on my list for a long time. I saw the trailer when it came out relatively early on. And it kind of slipped in and out of my like, oh, we should watch this now. And then, of course, after Yang came out a year ago, his newer movie and it reignited my want i want to see columbus i want to Mm -hmm. see after yang which we haven't seen after yang yet but we probably will Mm -hmm. um we'll probably review it on this podcast famous last words so you should probably subscribe i guess i think so otherwise you won't be able to find us according to andrew right (laughs) (laughs) um so columbus follows um uh what's his name uh john chu jin who is a korean translator and his father is a famous lecturer of architecture uh, or author or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, they don't fully explain, but yeah, you're in the ballpark. <laughs> and his fa- the opening scenes follow his assistant, pro- maybe? Research assistant was my guess. Yeah, they don't ever really tell you, but played by Parker Posey. And uh, the father collapses while walking around a building in this place in Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio. Which we thought for quite a while it was Columbus, Ohio, and we're like, we've been to Columbus, Ohio, and I don't know if this is right. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, John Chu eventually meets Haley Lou Richardson, um, who is a, a townie, a person who lives there, and her mother <laughs> has um, a substance abuse problem. And she is kind of mothering her mother and has a kind of failure to launch. She wants to, she has an amazing opportunity ahead of her. And uh, because of her emotional hangups, she doesn't want to do it. Uh, and drama ensues. Um, what did you think of this movie? Her That's, name's Casey. <laughs> that is a broad question. No, I, I think generally liked it. Um, I was very into it in the very beginning, too. I think it communicates a lot effectively without dialogue. Um, but again, like we were saying, there's still some things they don't fully explain or pinpoint or be like, this is his research assistant. You know, you kind of have to infer a lot of things, which I kind of enjoy. I feel like they did a good job of not making you feel lost where you're just confused in a bad way. You could be feel like she's his wife. Yeah, you thought it was like stepmom at one point, And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure like there's the professional connection. I'm just not sure what. But they definitely were family friends forever because he was... Um, Jin was saying they when they were both younger, like mm-hmm. teenager and tw- early twenties, they she had like a crush on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of my favorite things about the film, do you want me to just jump right into it? Yeah, go it's for related. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is I really liked a couple of the opening scenes um, because it again told it communicated a lot of plot with action before getting into the first dialogue scene. And I think it did it really effectively because we you could pick up on the details that, okay, someone collapsed, an older gentleman collapsed, Parker Posey, it's definitely like working with him or something related to him. She like brings him to the hospital, you know, she gets him and it's mm-hmm. assumed brings him to the hospital because like later the character Jin comes, he's definitely, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's a son because, you know, they... It's just easy to infer uh, he's at the hospital. Something's happened. So you get like, and then you get to like the dialogue scene. And this is just his side of the story, but the dialogue scene with him and Parker Posey and you've like sort of figured out, okay, they've known each other a really long time. Like they're definitely family friends. So she is like someone close um, and she's crying about it and he's not. And you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the son. So like you pick up all of these things before they've even said a word. And I really like that. Yeah, I, the setup of this movie is amazing. I think that knowing the kind of movies that Kogonata writes about and talks about in his essays, I think he purposely wants to blur the line between is she his wife mm. is she, or is she a research assistant? Like she's the closest person to him. And that's like the essence of that yes. supposed to carry through. And he's not so close. I've never, I've mm-hmm. also, you know, John Chu speaking Korean is is, is interesting because, you know, he's done a lot. He's, he's, you know, it's an interesting language definitely plays a role here for him, too, that he is, you know, like. They never translate the Korean. What he's saying to his colleagues or we mm-hmm. don't even know if there are relationships or what they, yeah. what he has outside of this. I feel like there is a part of this movie that reminds me of that Twilight Zone episode where it's the couple and they're in the town and they can't leave the town and they (laughs) kind of realize that everything is fabricated. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Um, And I think that this movie is really, really smart in a lot of ways. And I'll get to the part that I don't like in a second, but the 
cinematography in this movie is excellent without being very showy. Mm-hmm. They use a lot of repeated shots, repeated subs for scenes to let you know like where they are emotionally. It's something that uh, I did on a movie I worked on. We would use the same kind of shot over and over again to kind of like tell you how a character is feeling because it's the same shot in the same language. Um, it's really an effective strategy uh, that is used really well here, particularly in the hospital scenes. The mm-hmm. hospital and when he stays at that fancy inn, there's a lot of very interesting... They use the same frame that almost lulls you into a sense of security and then uh when she is sleeping in his bed and he's sleeping in the chair they've used that shot over and over again so when she stirs awake it's like oh my god did like mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of like stuff like off the page that you can infer in this movie yeah you can definitely tell it's it's made by someone who's very educated in filmmaking history and techniques and so subtle things like visually m- motifs and things like that so i pick that up too like there's just, he understands the film language so much. Like, the deeper meaning of film language, not, like, the technical words for everything. Like, the deeper, like, how people have communicated through film over the last hundreds of years. Yeah, and it, it, visual literacy is really high, I think, is another way to say that, too. Mm-hmm. Is like, he's just, like, really smart about the angles he uses. He's smart about what we understand and what we use. I also think, like, and this is something that we preach a lot about, and we get, I get at least, like, groany looks about from people um but i personally um feel like handheld is a played out look Mm. in indie indie movies and that tripods like when you're buying gear early in your career invest in a good tripod they will last you longer than your first camera (laughs) yes uh, we the, the our tripod, which we use, is not perfect. I've used better tripods than our tripod, but it has been a workhorse for us in our our careers, and we made two feature films on it. So why why do you but, hate? Oh, go on. Wait, what? what I was a, gonna say why do you hate handheld, <laughs> or why do you think it's overplayed? I think it elicits a feeling that, when used correctly, is is effective. But I feel like people. Don't take the time. Like, the, the, let me do in terms of this movie. Mm-hmm. There's so many scenes of dialogue that happen in long, unbroken tripod shots mm-hmm. that then cut to maybe reverse shot, reverse shot, or what have you. And it's really smart to spend the time to like set up that angle and just like let your audience. Don't worry about cutting. Don't worry about handle because I feel like handheld is like oh, it's indie, it's edgy, it's alive. It's like to me, it's just like an uns. It's like trying to draw a you know with a crayon you're not going to get a very clear image drawing with a crayon when you're using handheld because everything is like yes the color is there yes the the feeling is there but it's it should be used as a effective narrative storytelling tool not as a okay let's just shoot this handheld mm-hmm. and i run it we've run into so many people uh i run into see a lot of stuff where it's like they just shot this handheld because it's an aesthetic mm-hmm. and like it just it dates your movie in a early 2000s kind of world, you know, that is not terribly effective. And now that what stands, if you want your movie to stand the test of time, use a tripod because movies with tripods have been around since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. You see the shot in the 18, whatever, 1890 movie of the train arriving, the cameras on a tripod and that vitriol literacy of cameras on tripods tell a specific story 
Whereas when you don't use a tripod, it, it convolutes things because it's not a specific image because our eyes and the way our brains work is we're always stabilizing our image, you know, in our brains. Mm -hmm. So when you're seeing shaky cam footage, it's doing something that your eye has a hard time processing. And I think that creates this line, this pastiche that's, that evokes a, a different emotion. You know, your head moves like a tripod. Yeah. Well, it works really well for horror though. Like, like there is a place for handheld, I think, because of exactly what you're saying, it creates this immediate sense of unsettledness because like you said, your vision is really stable because your brain is doing it for you. So when you're like in a heightened scene, which is usually like a horror thriller thing, though could happen in some other drama cases, um, you're immediately thrown off and feel weird. <laughs> so I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't like seeing a ton of drama handheld films because it doesn't feel if the whole thing is handheld not with like a specific reason to make you feel a certain way like it's usually tension it's usually not emotion that it's been used for like romance and prettiness and flowiness like yeah okay that works but after a while it just becomes muddy like you're saying so um also it limits you like especially in the context of this film they could not have done this film with handheld without at least mixing the two because this is a film partly about architecture and you need these big huge wide shots to encompass the buildings that they're set against um mm -hmm. and that was one of the things i really liked visually about this film was like huge wide shots and they let the characters interact with the buildings and the wide shots and they incorporated them into the dialogue scenes in different and clever ways i think yeah yeah i i the movie has all the elements and here's where it, for me it falls off a cliff is in the final the final emotional thrust of the movie it feels like all of a sudden things are moving either quicker or slower it's not clear she has to leave parker posey rebuffs his advances it doesn't feel like you know i'm not saying that there's a better solution that i have but it just doesn't feel like it was handled with as much care her leave uh Haley lou richardson leaving home Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like that was handled. Like, it's building towards something that you don't see. It's building towards, like, she's going to confront her mom about her lying, and it doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. it just feels like it builds towards a negative accent almost. Like, she just leaves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, f I felt significantly less engaged in the film a little bit after halfway through. And I actually couldn't figure out why. Like, I think what you're saying is probably part of it. Like... It just felt like things started getting narratively like confused. And it's not even like a very plot driven movie. It's all about the characters. But it's like they lose the whole comparison of like culture, history, architecture, how two families are treat their parents differently. Like mm -hmm. Jin's family has such rooted in such tradition of like how you're supposed to treat your elders and be connected to your family and then what's her character's name Kel Casey. Casey Casey you know she comes from an American family and it's not always expected that the daughter has to take care of the mother but this is a situation where the daughter is taking care of the mother because she was a drug addict and pretty significantly and like she like you said had to mother her mother in a whole different way and she does it's so codependent that she feels like she can't live her life without 
because she'll abandon her mother where Jin is like, well, I did go off and do my thing and I have, he's essentially saying like, I don't even have, he's like, I kind of want my dad to die because I don't even know how to grieve for him because of what I'm supposed to do in Mm -hmm. my tradition and how I actually feel. And so I feel like those are really strong points, comparisons, things to talk about, but yeah, I don't know. It just like starts to fall apart and they don't like lean into, it starts to get very focused on like, okay, she's going to take this internship and go off and do it. And they don't confront anything with the mom and like how she's lying to her and maybe doing drugs again. I don't know. It was confusing. Right. They spent a lot of time lingering on shots of the mom during one sequence and the lying of the mom was spent a lot of time on, but then there was like no reason um, for all that happening. It felt like. Uh, the mother's played by Michelle Forbes, who's like a character actor. She's done some soap operas. Um, she was in True Blood, uh, mm. which is a soap opera, I guess. But she was also in a, a bit role in Lost. She's been around, but she's very good. Mm-hmm. And she was not given very much screen time in this to really kind of explain the pathos of her. But I think that's the movie. I think the movie doesn't want to explain the pathos of the parents. Yeah, I think that's okay. I just think it crossed the line. It's a very, very thin line of... Under, not understanding and being okay with it and not understanding and feeling like you've lost investment in the mm-hmm. rest of the film because you can't quite grasp wh- what you're supposed to feel and how you're supposed to react. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a, a, a deeper world that's, I think, supposed to be referenced and like this idea that there's a deeper world. But Rory Culkin plays as the other, other character with a lot of speaking parts. Mm. And... His character kind of leads to a dead end or nowhere, and like, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, just it's you know, there's clearly another thing that's on uh Koganata's mind about like a master's in library sciences, <laughs> some, that, yeah, some higher degree, <laughs> yeah, he's got commentary, some, some higher degree, uh, uh, bugaboos, I guess. <laughs> um, so I guess, do you want to rate this movie? Yeah. Remind me of our rating system, Teresa. Oh, I'm going to remind you? Okay. Because I mess this up probably every time we do this. But let's see if I can get it right this time. So our rating system. Mm-hmm. Buy it. Watch it. Skip it. <gasps> Woo! <Ta-da. laughs> okay, what what would you give this one? Uh, I'll watch it. I don't know that I... If this is on, I'll probably... I might see this again mm-hmm. in my life. But I don't feel the need to like... Watch it. I want to do some listening to some podcasts. I'm really in, interested in After Yang. It mm-hmm. seems like a better version of AI. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, a number of people put that near the top of their list of movies of last year. Columbus, if you want to make an indie movie, you should watch it. Yeah. Because I feel like it does really well. It had a very uh, relatively low budget, like $700,000. Mm-hmm. And it just teaches you some good lessons. Yeah. No, I'd watch it too. I don't know if I'd buy it and like continually rewatch it, but I, I agree with you. It makes me excited to see after Yang too. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to our question from our mailbag. You are about to trigger the outro music. <laughs> I'm having trouble with the the music side today. <laughs> okay. Nigel Bernstein says, "Oh, another question oh, from Nigel. Thanks, Nigel. I understand your. Oh, here, let me just pick it up. I understand your uh, position about everything everywhere." All at once. However, I loved it. Can you think of a movie you saw in theaters that met the hype? Mm. 
Well, the thing, the one that really comes to my mind. I wonder if it's the same one that came to my mind. When maybe. I but it's it's not like I absolutely loved it. and But I do think, so Manchester by the Sea. Mm. I remember. I, not the one I thought. Okay. Which is kind of unexpected for me to say. But I do remember that movie got super hyped. Um, and I was a little worried because I, again, had like wanted to see it. And then the people who were hyping it, I was like, I don't agree with their taste in movies. So I don't know if I'm going to like this. Um, and then we did go see it in the theater. And I felt like it did deserve the hype in terms. It was just very, very emotional. And the actors were Excellent, all amazing. Yeah. And it made me cry like a couple times. And like it just it hit it, I didn't cry Something at the, like... Something deeply resonant with you, yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't make... The moments that made me cry was not the big emotional scene of the two people, like, fighting or whatever when you're supposed to cry. It was, like, these incredibly subtle things. Like, the kid, his mom had died and, like... His dad. Oh, his dad died. Right. What? His dad dies. No, his mom. His, his dad dies and his mom is living with Matthew Broderick. Oh, right. Sorry, I got this messed up. Yeah. <laughs> his dad dies... And he's like pulling chicken out of the freezer and he's like crying because he was thinking about like, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but he that's where he starts crying. He doesn't like cry at the funeral or what. Yeah, anything. he doesn't cry like, before that moment. Yeah. And it was just so subtly real to how irrational humans are. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I loved it. I felt like emotionally lived up to the hype. What about you? Uh, So mine are, so that's interesting because... One little tip about Manchester by the Sea. We saw Manchester by the Sea on like a Sunday afternoon at the Main Art Theater, rest in peace. Mm. Um, and it was packed. The mm -hmm. big room was packed full of people. That's right. It was, of course, before COVID. But it was like a full movie theater of young people, old people. And it had been out a while. It had been out a while, yeah. Um, the movie that I think about with this is two movies. And they're both very similar. Um, the one that is a slam dunk that definitely met the hype was Black Swan. When we saw the Black Swan mm. at the AMC Lowe's in Boston, uh, it was just like, yes, this is give them all the money. Mm -hmm. Give them everything. It is amazing. This movie works. <laughs> it, it was, I was, I was super excited by that movie. The other movie that I think of in the same vein, though it's a little bit less so, uh, is, um, uh, God, it's, it's leaving my brain. Um, the Safdie Brothers movie. Um, good Time? Good Time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Good Time. I was just that like, was really oh, yeah, this, this meets the hype. Both this of those movies sort of like... I remember after Black Swan, you had said like that that movie broke my hard drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you brought a, if you bought a Mac in like the 2009-ish, a MacBook Pro in the 2009, <laughs> you also probably had many hard drive issues. And it was always on my mind at that point <laughs> in my life. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Nigel, for the question. Always nice to hear from you. So uh, that's it. That's our podcast. Thanks I'm Andrew. For, I'm Teresa. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks. Like, subscribe, that stuff, please. Bye.